Through the first 10 weeks of the season, who have been the best of the best for the first place? Seattle Seahawks, Rob Rang and I are going to be handing out our midseason awards on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your lead host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rain. Glad to have Rob back in the building after missing out on yesterday's show. Certainly missed you. I'm glad to have a chance now to dive into our mid-season awards, one of our most jam-packed episodes of the season. And it's nice that it came around the midway point, a little bit after the halfway point of the season, but still fairly close. And so really perfect timing for us to get to our MVP, our best defensive player, most improved, our top plays, and much more. We're going to dive into all that on today's episode, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on the opening drive, our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks are officially on their bye week, won't have a chance to get back in the win column this weekend, but even with their loss to the Buccaneers in Munich a week ago, they still sit in first place in the NFC West, albeit with the 49ers now only half a game behind them. If the 49ers win this weekend, as we'll hit on here in a few minutes, they would actually move into first place because of the tiebreaker beating the Seahawks in week two. Both teams would be at six and four. Nonetheless, almost everything else went Seattle's way last weekend. The Cardinals winning over the Rams is a big deal because now the Rams are three and six. The Cardinals, they're four and six, but the Seahawks beat them both times this season. So they have the tiebreaker. Now they have that feather in their cap. And so Really, a lot of things went the Seahawks' way, even if they didn't quite get it done in Munich. And they should be feeling pretty good going into this bye week and the second half of the season. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I, again, I was one of those who predicted that the Seahawks would be struggling at this point, and yet here they are again in, in first place. Uh, you know, the, the Seahawks lost this past weekend against the Buccaneers, as we all know, but at the same time, it did feel like if that game was just a little bit longer than they might have been able to escape Munich with a victory, considering the fact that they started the game as poorly as they did. I think that there's something to be said for that, just the result resiliency of Geno Smith and the rest of the Seahawks team, I think is exciting. And, and then you kind of, when you, once you start looking at the, the way that the rest of the schedule sets up for not only Seattle, but for the rest of the teams in the NFC West, as you mentioned, Corbin, if the San Francisco 49ers are able to get a victory this week, then they would hold first place because they beat Seattle in week two. But the rest of the NFC West schedules look pretty daunting. In, in comparison to the way Seattle's looks moving forward. Of course, again, Seattle is the only team in the NFC West uh, that has a bye week this week. Um, those of you who are on YouTube can see exactly what Seattle has moving forward. They have the bye week, then they are playing, they're hosting the Raiders, then they're at Los Angeles to play the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. But as you mentioned a couple of moments ago, Corbin, the, the Rams are three and six. I mean, this has not been a very impressive season for them. And, of course, Cooper Cup, one of their absolute superstars, Super Bowl MVP, uh, is now injured. He is not going to be able to be back in time 
for when Seattle goes to Los Angeles a couple of weeks from now. Then they uh, host the Carolina Panthers. They host those San Francisco 49ers. You can see who the 49ers, again, face if you're watching on YouTube, but I'll just spit those out real quick for you for the 49ers and then turn over to Corbin for the Cardinals and the Rams schedule. But the 49ers go on the road to the Arizona Cardinals. Then they host the Saints. They host the Dolphins. They host the Buccaneers. And then again, they travel up to Seattle in a game that I cannot wait to see against the Seattle Seahawks. So to me, again, if those of you who are watching on YouTube can already see the schedules for the rest of the teams, it does look like a little bit easier slate for the Seahawks at this point with the Cardinals and Rams still on Corbin's plate to, to discuss. Yeah, I'll get to those in a second, but you just think about the opponents again. There's no such thing as an easy game in the NFL. The Carolina Panthers beat the Buccaneers earlier this year fairly convincingly, and Panthers have been awful almost every other game this season, so you just never know any given Sunday. But still, the Seahawks have home games against the Raiders who have looked lethargic, like maybe the worst team in the NFL as of late. They've got a bunch of injuries, so they're playing them off their bye week. And then you've got a game against the Panthers at home two weeks later. The 49ers coming to town on Thursday night is going to be after two hard games against the Miami Dolphins, who look like a sleeper in the AFC, a high-powered offense with new coach Mike McDaniel. That's going to be a reunion for him going against the 49ers. And then i got to play the Buccaneers the week after. So the Seahawks are going to be the third consecutive team they play that's a playoff-caliber team that they're going to have to deal with, and they're going to be playing at Lumen Field this time around. So the schedule is shaping up really nicely for the Seahawks these next five weeks. They're going to get healthier this week on their bye. Now they just got to take advantage of it. You look at the other two teams in the division, the Cardinals have a pretty tough slate too. They got to play the 49ers this weekend. Then they play the Chargers, who should have their top two receivers. They return to practice this week. They should be available in that game. The Patriots, that's never an easy game with Bill Belichick as the coach. At Denver, it's never easy to win at mile high when you get into the winter. And then they got to play the Buccaneers the following week. And as for the Rams, I think the Rams have the most brutal schedule of any team on here. And you consider the injuries they're dealing with. At the Saints, we know how difficult it is to win in New Orleans. At the Chiefs, another place that's extremely difficult to win at. And oh, by the way, one of the Super Bowl favorites. Then they play the Seahawks at home. The only easy game they have on this slate is the Raiders at home. And that might not be an easy game for them because they're in the same spot. They're banged up across the board, a lot of injuries. And then they got to play at Lambeau Field against the Packers, who maybe just maybe woke up a little bit this past weekend in their victory that they had. Uh, over the Dallas Cowboys. So things are looking up for Green Bay after that dreadful loss in Detroit to the Lions. Maybe the Packers by that point will be back in the playoff race and playing at Lambeau is never easy. A lot of really difficult road games for the Rams. So what does this all mean? Again, it's shaping up for the Seahawks to have a prime schedule here, at least for the next four or five weeks, where they can maybe get some separation here. you got to take care of business on the field, though. Again, there's no such thing as an easy game in the NFL. And as things stand, according to our friends at 538, the Seahawks, with that loss last weekend, they only have a 37% chance to win the NFC West. The 49ers, because they have that tiebreaker, they are at 60%. Both teams are still above 75% to make the playoffs, though. The Seahawks at 76%, the 49ers 81%. Things are looking pretty bleak for the other two teams. The Cardinals actually got a little bit of an uptick here by beating the Rams. 2% chance to win the NFC West, 10% chance at playoffs. As for the Rams at 3-6, and six, NFC West title chances for the defending champions, 0.9%, and playoffs, 6%. 
you got to wonder, Rob, if those chances are even smaller considering that their second-best player, Cooper Cup, may be out for the next four to six weeks, and they've already got a number of injuries. And this team, quite frankly, the Stars have not even been playing well away from Aaron Donald this season. It's really been a struggle for them. So this really is starting to look like a two-horse race, and the Seahawks have the schedule in front of them to get it done and get into the postseason. But again, you got to take care of business on the field. These games are not won based off of stats and records. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just a week ago, we, we were thinking that maybe Seattle would be able to walk into Germany and get a victory against the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who we both acknowledge were first place in the NFC South. But still, just considering how poorly they had played up to this point in the season, I think that it was easy to suggest that maybe they would be able to get that victory. I think kind of going back, it's just so much fun to slam the Rams when you have that opportunity. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, that it's also not entirely fair to just suggest that the Rams are going to be able to have a cakewalk over the the visiting Las Vegas Raiders at that point. I mean, this this is a Las Vegas Raiders team that still has an awful lot of fans, uh, you know, in in Los Angeles. And considering how poorly the Rams have played, I I think that might be a, a game where the Raiders fans were able to kind of take over SoFi a little bit. So that to me is yet another game that I think the Rams could struggle with, along with some of the other games that you had already mentioned, the Saints, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and of course going on to Lambeau. Um, So to me, the Rams uh, schedule is very, very daunting, as you mentioned previously. And and so I I do think that, uh, hey, enjoy the victories while you can. Celebrate your victories, Los Angeles Rams fans, because it looks like the 2022 season is basically going to be the nightmare. Yeah, you don't want to write off the defending champs, but at the same time, it's hard not to with the injury situations and the inability to run the football and some of the other things that have really been plaguing this team. And I don't think Matthew Stafford's been healthy the entire season with his elbow issue and now dealing with a concussion as well. So there have been a lot of things going on for the defending champs. They have not had the luck, the fortune in their favor up to this point. We'll see what happens in coming weeks. Maybe they can play themselves back into the hunt. We'll just have to wait and see. Up next, it's our mid-season awards. We do this every year. Usually, we try to do it during the bye week. Sometimes it doesn't set up. This year, it did with the Seahawks being on their bye in week 11. We're going to be looking at MVP and a number of different awards coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want. Wherever you want, from a community of local hosts, browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on. To see how it fits in your everyday life, many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And, of course, a special welcome to our new listeners as well. Glad to have you on board. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're officially on our bye week, no game to prepare for, so sadly no matchup Wednesday today. But the good news is we got a pretty good replacement today, Mid-Season Awards, one of our favorite shows during the season as we tackle MVP, Top Rookie, and a number of other awards. Let's kickstart the festivities. Rob, we're going to start off big right off the bat. MVP, I have a pretty good idea who you're going to be rolling with here, and probably you and I are thinking on the same page on this one. I'm not so sure that's true, Corbin. I mean, I, I think that certainly you have to acknowledge Geno Smith. But at the same time, I think that one of the kind of surprising stars, and I, I shouldn't even say surprising star. I, I think we all expected Jordan Brooks to be a star. I think that he has been so consistent that it's been easy to overlook what he's been able to do. And, and I'll, I'll get into Geno Smith a little bit later uh, and just how fantastic that he has been for the Seahawks. But I really think that if you lose Jordan Brooks, as it looked like this possibly Seattle was going to do when he went down with the injury, you know, this past week, um, then really, I think that everything could kind of fall apart. And that would be the biggest reason what I would suggest that he should be at the very minimum co-MVP of the Seahawks season so far. I think Jordan Brooks has been spectacular. I, I would not be surprised at all if he winds up doing exactly what he did last year and being a top five guy in terms of tackles and perhaps setting another franchise record for overall tackles and should be uh you know getting some all pro votes in my opinion yeah i think jordan brooks has had a better season than people realize i don't know that he's necessarily taken that step this year that i thought he was going to in terms of the impact plays he he's had chances he could have picked off tom brady the other day and let it bounce off his hands he only has one tackle for loss. He's been getting a lot of tackles close to the line of scrimmage, so it's not like he's been ineffective. But for that reason, and while I respect your argument, uh, to me, this is the GVP. It is the Geno Valuable Player. It's got to be Geno Smith's <laughs> award. I mean, who else has lifted this team more than number seven? And unexpectedly at that, we all know the backstory. We've talked about it time and time again on this podcast there were a lot of people, including yourself, that thought that he wasn't even going to win the starting job coming out of yep. training camp, and yet he did, and he's still first in the NFL in completion rate. He's first in completion above expectation, which I think is a remarkable stat. He is in the top five for big-time throws for pro football focus. He's second in passer rating if you're looking for more traditional stats. Almost 250 rushing yards this year. He's done a little bit of everything. And I feel like he has really handled adversity, adversity thrown at him. We saw the pick six two weeks ago. Comes right back, leads three straight touchdown drives. Had a rough first half in uh, Munich against the Bucks, and nearly leads him back with two fourth quarter touchdown passes. Every time there's been something that's gone wrong, this guy has been able to punch back for the Seahawks. And so this one's a no-brainer to me. Absolutely. He's got to be the MVP. Now, let's talk the guys that have been protecting Geno Smith to this point, the buffet bashers, the offensive linemen. Let's talk best offensive linemen so far at the midway point of this season. Rob, who are you rolling with in the trenches? Well, again, I'm going to go with another player that I was not really celebrating when Seattle made this selection, but Charles Cross, I think, has been spectacular. Um, you know, I think that when, when you look at the way that the defenses typically line up, they're going to try to attack a quarterback's blind side uh, with, with the right-handed quarterback, Geno Smith. That's going to be the left tackle position. Seattle, of course, selects Charles Cross and basically just says, all right, you are our starting left tackle. Let's play ball. Um, you know, letting Dwayne Brown walk and Charles Cross has not been elite, but damn it, he's been pretty solid. 
And so I was not expecting that considering the transition that he was going to be making for Mike Leach's two-point offense to Seattle where you knew they are going to run the football, I, I thought that Charles Cross would be okay. I thought that he would have his rookie bumps, but I think it's been surprisingly consistent, uh, you know. And, and so, to me, I think that Charles Cross has been Seattle's best offensive lineman, and I am stunned to say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you picked him, especially based on the post draft assessment. But he's coming off his best game. I rewatched the All 22 against Tampa Bay, and he looked elite in that game. He was fending off pass rushers. He made some nice blocks in the run game. That's still an area of improvement. So. He was up there for an opportunity to win this one. I had Abe Lucas also in contention. So our listeners might be like, well, he didn't pick either one of the tackles. No, I'm going to surprise some people. And I'm going with the veteran, the third-year guard in Damian Lewis. And Rob, I feel like Damian Lewis has taken that massive step the last two weeks that we had been waiting for almost two seasons for him to make. He was so good as a rookie. And then last year he had injuries. He didn't look comfortable in the left guard position. And I still didn't see that early this season. I still saw a young player that was having issues playing on the left side. Of course, he had the ankle injury in the preseason that a lot of people, including myself, thought looked like a season ender in the preseason. But he was back by week two starting for them. And there were some issues early on in the year, but he has really gotten comfortable. He's only given up nine pressures the entire season in pass protection. And just to put it in perspective, the last two weeks against the Cardinals and Bucks, he played against J.J. Watt, Vita Vea, and Akeem Hicks. Those are three of the guys that he was spending most of his time blocking. He allowed one pressure on 81 pass blocking reps against mostly that trio of players. And oh, by the way, he's been really good in the run blocking department too. He had a pancake on a screen pass this past weekend. Damian Lewis is playing almost elite level the last couple of weeks. And I feel like he's been trending the last month or so as the Seahawks have been winning a lot of games. He's been playing much better. So uh, kudos to Lewis because early in the year he looked lost to me, but he has rediscovered it. And then some he's playing at a very high level. Now let's swing to the rookies. And this might be the hardest one that we have because this rookie class has been so dang good for the Seahawks so far, but I'm only letting you pick one, Rob. You have to pick one rookie. Who is your top rookie at the midway point of the season from this really good 2022 class? Yeah, you're, you're right, Corbin. It is difficult because Seattle's rookie class has been spectacular. I just kind of lauded praise on Charles Cross. I think that we easily could have lauded that same praise on Abe Lucas. Uh, Ken Walker III has been absolutely unspe- you know, spectacular. You know, I, I really think that a similar argument could be made for Tariq Woolen. To me, it is just hands down that he has been the most dynamic rookie for the Seahawks. I think that he has been the most dynamic rookie for the entire NFL. Tariq Woolen has been a superstar basically from the jump. You know, I was right there sitting alongside of you when we watched him play against the Denver Broncos, and I saw him shut down his side of the field against a quarterback that we both believe is potentially a future Hall of Famer. And he's done the exact same thing basically all season long. Um, you know, and so to me, in terms of the interceptions, the forced fumbles, the block kicks, Tariq Woolen, I think, again, deserves Pro Bowl consideration and as a rookie, a fifth round rookie who came in with what barely a dozen uh, starts in his career at the cornerback position. I think that he is de- hands down Seattle's top rookie so far this season. 
And I get it. When we're talking top rookies, you know, the, the guys that win rookie of the year are going to be your players that get interceptions, recover fumbles, rack up a bunch of rushing yards, quarterbacks that sling it all over the place. I mean, there are certain style players, pass rushers that get sacks. Those are the ways to win awards. Offensive linemen, there isn't a sexy stat that you can throw out there. Like, you know what? That guy deserves offensive rookie of the year. In fact, there's never been an offensive lineman that's won the Correct. award. But I'm picking one of the two rookie tackles. In fact, I'm going with the second of the two players that was picked. I've got Abe Lucas as my top rookie. And here's why, Rob. He has allowed just 15 pressures in 10 starts so far this year. Four sacks. That's a decent number. Some fans might listen to that and be like, that's still quite a few sacks given up. But four sacks in 10 games, I'll take that when you look at the pressure numbers. That jumps out to me more than anything. He's consistently been keeping pass rushers away from Geno Smith. 15 and 10 games, that's pretty darn good. He had zero this past weekend against the Bucs. He and Charles Cross were both locking things down off the edge. Certainly not having to deal with Shaquille Barrett helped. But still, uh, these guys have been balling. They have been playing way better than I anticipated as first-year starters starting from day one. And Lucas, I give him the edge here because he has been the better run blocker. This guy plays with a nasty edge. He throws guys into the turf. He's got some room to improve there. His technique needs some adaptation. But he, his physicality, his nastiness has allowed him to win in the trenches a lot more than Charles Cross. And I just think that it just really caters to his game more. So I'm giving a well-rounded Abraham Lucas this award. Let's go to special teams, something that – you know, quite frankly, I think we don't have enough time to talk about a lot of the time, but top specialist, you and I probably would pick the same player here, but at the same time, I had two players in mind here. So who are you going with? Well, I got to go with the kicker, Jason Myers. I mean, I, I think that we, if, if you wanted to kind of make the argument as you just did a, a moment ago with Damian Lewis and who is trending upward, then Michael Dixon, it, you know, certainly showed against Tampa Bay um, just what he can do. Um, you know, that, that coffin corner kick was unbelievable. Um, you know, and he, and he's continues to just show, uh, his leg strength and the way that he can kind of tumble the football. Absolutely unspectacular. There's not very many punters that can just drop your jaw, but at the same time, there's not a lot of kickers out there that can drop your jaw. And I think that Jason Myers has absolutely done that. We, we kind of talked about how, you know, he is so up and down those odd years. He truly plays oddly in those even years. He is just money in the bank and whether it be short kicks, whether it be long kicks, like the 55 yard field goal that he had against Tampa Bay. Um, you know, I, again, I just think the poise that he has demonstrated when it is a clutch kick to me, this is a pretty easy one with all due respect to some of the guys in coverage with the fact that Seattle didn't, didn't miss a beat really when it came to the transition to long snapper position. Uh, I, I think that there are some people there who deserve some credit, but I think that Jason Myers has just been head and shoulders above everybody else in the special teams unit. Myers was going to be my pick. I'll admit, I thought this was going to be one of the few times that we agreed completely on the same player, but then I just can't help it. I've got to go with another one of these rookies. And in fact, it's one that was not selected on draft day. I'm going to go with Joey Blunt as my selection. I just feel like the energy that Joey Blunt brings to kick and punt coverage units for this team. There were some losses in that aspect. And Cody Barton becoming a full-time starter, not doing that anymore on special teams. Losing Ben Burkirvin, who didn't recover from his knee injury well. John Radigan not being back. I mean, they've got enough injuries where 
there were question marks, and we saw how bad the kick coverage was during the preseason. It was atrocious. But Joey Blunt has been fantastic, and he's got six tackles on special teams. He flies down the field. I feel like he's in the tackle every single time, and you can just see the passion and the energy that this kid plays with. So I feel like we got to give him some love because I can't tell you how many times that he has immediately jumped out to me this year thinking, man, how to get down there that quick. And that's just the way that he plays football. And it's a lot of fun to watch. I feel like he deserves some recognition. So he's my top specialist real quick before we get to our next segment, top offensive play of the midseason. What has been your favorite offensive play so far? You know, there, there's been so many of them. Again, I think we could kind of highlight so many different throws that Geno Smith made. But to me, Ken Walker the third, uh, you know, against the Chargers, when he basically just kind of sealed it, you know, and he, his breakaway. There's been a, a couple of different runs that he's made that, again, just jaw-dropping. Uh, but basically, in a game that I thought the Seahawks would really struggle to beat the Chargers, and his breakaway speed, his ability to make people miss – in the hole, uh, you know, even behind the line of scrimmage, to me that was the play. The, the you know the breakaway that sealed that victory for the Seahawks against the Chargers. I, I thought that he showed everything. He showed power. He showed vision. He showed agility, and he certainly showed the straight line speed, the ability to finish. He he had shown it at Wake Forest and at Michigan State as well, but I didn't think that we would see it this quickly in the NFL. So to me, that's the easy one. I got to go with the Geno Smith throw. In fact, I'm going to go with two of them from the same game in the Big Easy against the Saints. I know the Seahawks lost that game, but Geno was dropping bombs, dropping rainbows to Tyler Lockett, and one of them in particular, I don't know that he could have thrown that football any better. There were three defenders tightly in coverage on Tyler Lockett in the end zone, and it was a 40-plus yard touchdown, and that was as perfect of a deep ball as you're ever going to see. Really, both throws were exquisite. And those are the kind of throws that we've seen Geno Smith make fairly frequently this year. Maybe he hasn't had as many 40-plus yarders as Russell Wilson did, but we have seen plenty of downfield throws that have been high difficulty that he has been able to get in there with accuracy and precision. And that's one of the reasons that he's been a MVP dark horse to this point. And I think he's going to remain in that mix as long as the Seahawks are staying atop the NFC West and battling for a playoff spot. So those two throws, they really stand out as the two best of a number of big big time throws that Geno Smith has made up to this point. We're going to continue our midseason awards with top defensive player and others coming up here next on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As you gear up for the busy holiday season, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. As a current podcast host, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find the top candidates in sports media. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Host your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
This episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports and wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As always, we greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. In the middle of our by week here in week 11, we're dishing out mid-season awards for the Seahawks, who have been the best of the best. We've already looked at MVP, top offensive lineman, top rookie, but we've got several other awards to get to here in our third segment, and we get to start on the defensive side of the football, best defensive player. So maybe a little different terminology than most valuable defensive player. You picked Jordan Brooks as your MVP earlier for that reason, but... Who has been the best defensive player? That isn't always the most valuable, but just flat out the best defender. Who in your eyes deserves this award? Well, as you just said, Corbin, I think that you could make an argument for Jordan Brooks. But in terms of the impact plays, as you said before, Jordan Brooks only has one tackle behind the line of scrimmage. And that is where Uchenna Nuosu has absolutely been a superstar. I think you go back to that week one performance against the Denver Broncos where a couple of different times he knifed inside and was able to create those plays behind the line of scrimmage that led to the forced fumbles that led to the Seahawks victory. He already has, uh, I believe it's seven sacks so far this season. That is setting a career high uh, for Uchenna Nuosu. I, I think that he's been absolutely spectacular. So to me, this is one of those where I think that he is the slam dunk pick for the best defensive player for the Seahawks so far this season. But again, I would have to acknowledge that Jordan Brooks, I think, has been spectacular, as has Tariq Woolen. Yeah, I considered Woolen here. Woolen was my second pick here. I, I actually did not consider Jordan Brooks for this just because of the lack of impact plays as we've talked about. I think he's had a solid year, but he hasn't taken that step that I thought maybe he would in terms of getting things other than tackles. Uchenna Nuosu, though, he's making a case to be the best free agent signing that the Seahawks have had right up there with Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in terms of John Schneider's tenure here in Seattle. He's already got seven sacks. He ranks among the top three in the NFL, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, for pass rush win rate. This guy has consistently been getting in the backfield. He's a good run defender on top of it. He plays a lot of snaps. So this is a player that's versatile. He can do a little bit of everything, and he also plays a lot of snaps for you. He's just a dog, and he has brought that mentality to this pass rush in Seattle's run defense. So he has been outstanding. He has been a borderline all-pro caliber player. He's played that well. For the Seahawks. No, by the way, he just turned 26. So still a very young player that has a chance to keep improving for the next couple of years. If I'm a Seahawks, I'm trying to find a way to extend his contract this offseason because two years is not enough. Get this guy signed for four years and show him the money. He has certainly earned it. Now let's talk most improved. And I think this is another one that really you could pick one particular player here above the rest. There's a few others to consider, but I have a feeling I know who you're going to talk about on this one. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was, as we talked about, I mean, I certainly did not expect Geno Smith to become the player that he's become for the Seahawks. I, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of who Geno Smith was. Going back to my days and evaluating him at West Virginia, um, certainly in his frequent stops throughout the NFL. I mean, Geno Smith was basically the very definition of journeyman. And now suddenly he's in the MVP consideration. I mean, what the heck? I mean, I, I can't believe what he has done so far this season. He has been spectacular. Every bit of praise that you or anybody else has lauded him on him so far, that I have lauded on him, you know, after the fact, uh, has been very well deserved. He has been spectacular. I was fortunate to be on the field, Corbin, that, that week one game against the Denver Broncos. I was just so impressed by the leadership and the calm with which he showed before the Seahawks even really got onto the field. And, and then to follow that up with his spectacular play, you mentioned the, the two different exquisite passes against the New Orleans Saints. Hell, even in the losing cause against Tampa Bay, he was the reason why Seattle had a chance to come back in that game because, again, of the poise, the accuracy that he demonstrated. And it is better than I've ever seen him going all the way back to his college days. He has been spectacular here. He's easily been the most improved player, at least from my perspective. It'd be easy for me to give this to number seven. I mean, you're the MVP of the team out of nowhere. Obviously, he's a player that deserves to be the most improved. The thing is, though, what has there been to improve upon? He hadn't really been a starter for seven years. I guess you could say for the three starts he had last year. So, uh, to me, you know, maybe that's just semantics. But anyway, I'm going to go with a player that we have seen on the field quite a bit the last two years, and he's played well at replacing Jamal Adams. Unfortunately, we've had too many times that we haven't seen Jamal Adams in the field because of injuries. But Ryan Neal is my selection. To me, this is a slam dunk pick because I mentioned it last week going into the game in Munich. Ryan Neal has played like an all-pro over the last month. He has been flying all over the field. He has been making – I talked about impact plays – interceptions, pass breakups, sacks, two forced fumbles, that crucial one against Kyler Murray two weeks ago in Arizona. He's got three tackles for loss. I mean, he's making all of those impact plays for the Seahawks. And he might not have had any of them against Tampa Bay this last weekend, but I watched the All-22. He didn't allow a single reception this entire game in coverage. He has been really good in coverage, a passer rating below 40 in the last five games. So as great as Geno Smith has played, he's obviously an easy selection for this one. But we've seen what Ryan Neal has done the last two years and the step he's taken. I mean, he was seriously in trouble for making this roster at one point. And here he is playing like an all-pro and is a really great story that just continues to get better for the Seahawks. Okay, let's talk biggest surprise now. And up to this point, we have been all positives. And I know this one you were wanting to go positive, but you told me before the show, I am going to have to have some pessimism. So I'm interested to see which direction you're going here. Well, I, I just, one of the players, it's kind of the opposite of Geno Smith and Ryan Neal. Um, two players who I, I did not believe were going to be able to justify their starting positions. I thought Daryl Taylor was going to be a superstar at this point. And I am encouraged by what we have seen here um, in flashes. I still believe that he has the quickest first step and the best bend around the edge, two of the most critical traits of being the elite pass rusher. But 
I, I use this expression all the time, and maybe it's because I like pudding too much, but the proof is in the pudding, and we have not seen enough of Daryl Taylor to warrant the, how highly he was selected, and certainly as highly as I thought that uh, he would be playing at this point in the season. He has been basically an also-ran for Seattle's defense. And so to me, the biggest surprise of the season is the fact that Daryl Taylor has not established himself as even a consistent starter for the Seahawks. I thought that he might be the contender for Pro Bowl honors. Uchenna Nuoso has stolen that spot away from him. Yeah, I thought about maybe going in the negative direction here too, but there's just too many positive surprises. When we're talking about a team that very few people thought was going to be contending and they're six and four, you got to celebrate that in the midseason awards. And so I want to talk about the corner not named Tariq Woolen on the outside, and that is Mike Jackson. And granted, he had one of his worst games of the season against the Buccaneers this past weekend. Not that he played poorly, but that really puts in perspective how well he has played. He gave up some receptions in that game. He got called for a pass interference penalty, but you got to love the physicality and the toughness that Mike Jackson plays with. He does not back down. And we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. Pete Carroll, maybe the number one trait he looks for in corners, you have to be able to tackle and you got to be able to play physical football. Mike Jackson checks off both of those marks. He had three pass breakups in a game a few weeks ago against the New York Giants. So he's been getting his hands on the football. Doesn't have that first interception yet. That's the only thing missing on his resume. But he's been a great tackler. He's been physical against the run. He's limited yards after the catch. He's gotten pass breakups. He's done a little bit of everything. And he's been overshadowed by what Tariq Woolen's doing. And it's understandable because Woolen is having a remarkable rookie season. But Mike Jackson, a guy that got cut several times, including by the Seahawks themselves, has bounced around quite a bit in the league. For him to be a day one starter and hold off Sidney Jones and eventually force Sidney Jones to be waived, uh, that just tells you how well this kid has played. And it's not going to be easy for Trey Brown to get that job back because of how well he has played. Real quick, we've got two more awards that we're going to get through fast here. Let's get to our best defensive play. We talked offense, defense. It's been kind of an up and down season, but there still have been a number of spectacular plays. Which one jumps out to you? Well, the, a lot of them that come back to uh, Tariq Wollen and Uchenna Nuoso. To me, those are the two players that just consistently made those spectacular plays. Um, I, I think that this past play, uh, this past week, when uh, you know Tariq Wollen as a rookie did correctly read the the Tom Brady uh, or the Leonard Fournette throw back to Tom Brady, I think that was a spectacular one. Um, uh, again, Uchenna Nuoso being able to kind of break up the play at the line of scrimmage, though, to me, the forcing the fumble against the Broncos. That is yet another one that I that immediately jump out to me as some of the most spectacular plays. And real quick, Corbin, you might have seen me kind of reach over when you were talking about Mike Jackson. I, you know, those are people who've been reading these Lindy's guides. I thought that Mike Jackson was going to be a starter. That's why I thought that he has not been a surprise. He's been exactly the player that I thought he would be when he came out of Miami a couple of years ago. I, I got to give you some credit. When you pick one like that, you got to be able to pat your back a little bit. As far as my best play in defense, it's interesting. You actually picked a different play and you didn't even mention it on here. Before the before the show, for your best defensive play, you actually picked Tariq Woolen turning Jared Goff into a goof with a pick six. So you were mentioning <laughs> Woolen's play. So I will just throw that out there. I was the one that picked the goal line stand here, but – there have been a number of really good plays from the Seahawks defense. And 
those two goal line stands, I picked in pairs for both of these because those were crucial to beat the Broncos. If you don't make those forced fumbles at the goal line to turn the Broncos away with no points, you don't win that game. And maybe the Broncos are the team that's riding high at this point of the season. It felt like that game really set both teams in the directions that they have gone now where the Broncos are three and six. They're struggling. Worst offense in the NFL. And the Seahawks are 6-4 and four atop the NFC West and looking like a playoff team. That game really set the tone for both their seasons, and those goal line stops were crucial. Before we go here on our Wednesday episode, we've added one extra award here real quick, Rob, and it's a precursor award. Not really looking at the last 10 games, but who is your second-half breakout star to watch with seven games left to play? You know, this one I do remember, Corbin. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why is because I really think one of the special things about the Seahawks team is just the way that they utilize their tight ends. And I really thought that we would see more action from Noah Fant. And I don't think it's because Noah Fant has struggled. I think it's because Will Disley and Kobe Parkinson have both raised their level of play. So to me, it's Noah Fant. I really think that there is potential here to be tapped. I think that his straight line speed is, you know, spectacular and that is something that I think as more defenses are going to try to attack Geno Smith I think it's going to create more opportunities for Seattle to get the ball to their athletic tight end and be able to create some big plays so Noah Fant to me is the player who I still think is just scratching the surface of what he might be able to do for the Seahawks. Fant was a player that I considered because it feels like he has just been scratching the surface of what he can do but I have to go with Quandre Diggs at free safety. He's had a somewhat disappointing first half. It's just been quiet, no interceptions, and he hasn't really gotten his hand on the football a lot. He's missed more tackles than we're used to seeing coming off that injury last year. He gave him the new contract. I don't know that he's played to it. I believe he is going to coming out of this bye week, though, and I've got one big reason that I expect he's going to get rolling. you got two games with Matthew Stafford on the schedule. He picked him off in both games last year. His former teammate, he seems to have a good read on. And, oh, by the way, he's picked off Jimmy Garoppolo a bunch of times, too, and they have another game with the 49ers coming up in Seattle. I think there's going to be some picks coming. He is well beyond overdue there. So I think number six is going to step his game up, and we're going to see the player that was a pro bowler each of the last two years and got some all pro votes last year. I think that Quandre Diggs shows up for the final seven games. That would be a big boost to the Seahawks defense and their chances of holding on to win the NFC West and get into the postseason. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow on our Thursday episode, we're going to start looking at some predictions, what to expect going into the second half of the season on offense, defense, and special teams for the first place Seattle Seahawks. What do they need to do to stay atop the division with the 49ers right on their tails. We'll get to that on tomorrow's show. You don't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.